the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. I'm Rob Black talking about money, 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 investing in more. I hope you sleep well. I hope you live well. And in the end, I hope you die with some money in the bank that you can pass on to some children, but you don't have to. You can bounce last check to the coffin maker if you want to. I'm okay with either. One of the things that I want to do my best on is when drones are in the news, I want to talk about drones. When millennials are in the news, I want to talk about millennials. I want to tie whatever's current to investing, whatever's current to getting you to retirement, whatever's current to getting you involved with investing. I love that part of my job. Um, I love sharing with you good ideas. I love sharing with you some sad ideas. January is typically a month in which it might be good to hide from your spouse because it is called divorce month. It's typically the month when divorce filings begin to spike. 2018, very popular year for divorce because of impending changes to the tax code. I know you're saying you're making that up. (laughs) <laughs> I wish I would do dead. So in December, da, 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 it's romantic. It's love. Let's get engaged. Let's show your parents the big old sparkly di- oh, cubic zirconia because we're millennials. December is about engagement. January, February, and the peak March are all about divorce. It's gloomy weather outside. You've just spent a ton of dough on your your brats, your, I mean your lovely children. The post-holiday jolt is now time to get back to work and time to move on with my life and make some new resolutions. What I find is that most people in December want to get through the holidays, just get through the holidays without the ugly cloud of divorce to upset the children. Man, Dad, when you stop fighting, Santa Claus is coming! Right? For couples with kids, it could be important to hold things together. Do it for the kids. Do it until they get out of college and then get a divorce. Once the holiday glow has waned and spouses settle back into old habits, many people flock to the divorce attorney's office. I say don't do the divorce attorney. Do a divorce mediation. You once loved the other person? Split amicably, especially if there's kids. So you got to digest the practical sides of a split. Finances are part of the practical sides of it, and the less you spend on attorneys, the more you have for each other. One of the first questions, and again, there's no winning in divorce. Both sides lose. So obviously, the numbers are going to look different for every type of couple from every type of state. I know someone who went through a divorce that cost over $100,000 because his wife had a lip on her. When you get in front of a judge, do not have a lip on you in front of a judge, it's yes or no, sir. They don't want you giving them flack. They don't want to hear that your husband was a bad husband, that you know he never made the bed. They don't want to hear it. 
They want to hear, when do you want the divorce? I'll sign the paperwork. Thank you. Next. But the new tax plan passed by Congress, alimony payments are no longer tax deductible. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. That particular change takes effect January 2019. So you've got one year, ladies and gentlemen. And smart people will figure it out. Instead of doing alimony, they'll be like a one-time payment. Um, so how can you tell if you and your partner on the precipice of a permanent split? I don't know. If your spouse won't listen to you, is probably the number one reason you should go to an attorney or a mediator or uh, a counselor. Counselor! You've become a pursuer. They've become a distancer. So, anyway, divorce is expensive. And I just throw that out there for you. Oh, the TV ad model. This is something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I'm now, any TV I watch is binge TV or sports. There's nothing in between. I don't go, oh, look, it's Friday and the the Honeymooners are on. Let's go watch that show. And the Honeymooners brought to you by Cocoa Puffs. Puff Puff Cocoa Puffs, chocolatey, tasty Cocoa Puffs, munchy, crunchy, chocolatey Cocoa Puffs. Ralph, I'll send you to the moon. Um, so I'm like every other consumer out there now. I'm consuming content. I'm paying for it. I'm comfortable with that. Whether it's cable with HBO or it's Netflix or Spotify, the ad business doesn't work for me. I don't have time for the the 30-second Cocoa Puff commercial. I love my Cocoa Puffs. Who doesn't like chocolatey cereal that turns into ch- milk into chocolate milk magically? So the ad model's changing. Whether you're whether you see it or not, a whole generation of consumers will forever have very little tolerance for interrupting ads. And that's what I feel they do. I love watching HBO shows because you know it's gonna be 22, 28, 56, 58 minutes of content. And you can pause if you need to go pee-pee. You don't have to do a pee-pee break during the commercial break. So if you're a marketer and you're, someone comes to your firm and says, Rob Black has a new product called Rob Black and Your Money. It's a podcast. He wants to spread the word and, he want, the word and put it all out there. And the marketer and the advertiser, okay, let's do it. Let's buy 30-second spots and let's buy an ad in the Wall Street Journal and let's, let's no, get a radio station. No, Spotify is killing the radio station. So... Now, forever is too long, and you can't say ads are gone forever, but they're being delivered differently. And cable TV once promised no commercials, and Netflix kind of is delivering on that promise uh, 40 years later. Spotify's success could partially be attributed to no commercials. The ad-supported model is under attack. It may not be an existential crisis, but it will look different every five years. You know, the ad space is clearly moving to Facebook and Google and Amazon. Amazon's shaking up how people find brands. You know, I think this is a, a big advertising model that people aren't talking about. Amazon's shaking it up rather than ads being pushed to you in video. Um, if you look at the market caps of tech companies versus media companies, a lot of the moves you're seeing in media like Disney and Fox are a reaction to it. Um, so Amazon's doing other e-commerce services. Disney has seen cable TV get hit with ESPN. So Disney's saying, you know, we'll do our own little ad-free content that people can get. 
if you don't want to watch ESPN and commercials on cable, we'll give you ESPN without the commercials. But you got to go through our app. I never underestimate the power of inertia in this country. You never should either. When I talk about millennials, it's for a reason. When I talk about Generation Z, it's for a reason. They can't stand commercials. And as 4G and LTE speeds got better and better, and now we're just starting to talk about 5G, we can de- deliver 4K TV in a seamless fashion. And you may not be able to dump Comcast today. You may not be able to dump commercial TV Monday through Friday where you watch the news and go to commercials. But you will. Because TV stations will say there's another model to be made, not just the commercial advertising second commercial. We can stream this baby. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW and streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. So I grew up in a world of Jason Voorhees. Chill, 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 chill. No, 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 no. Kill, 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 kill. I grew up with a little Freddy Krueger. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees. Who are these people? Come on, you know. Little Mike Myers. I was pre-torture movies. I was pre-Saw films. They never appealed to me. And when I got into Wall Street, and Friday the 13th met Wall Street, it was truly scary. 30 years ago today, children still talk about it. It was October 19, 1987. (laughs) The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 25% of its value in one day. Children, tell your children about Black Monday. It was a day where traders and investors lost one quarter their worth in a day. No one in living memory has seen anything like it. Never, ever. And it's only told about and talked about in whispers now. The postmortems conducted trying to understand how the Dow managed to drop 508 points in one day. They couldn't figure it out. The so-called portfolio insurance, a quantitative tool which was designed to use futures to protect against market losses. Instead, it created a poisonous feedback loop. We had the solution to fix evil, and that solution was evil itself. We basically figured out a way to stop a market crash that created a market crash. Now the proliferation of computer-driven investing has created an illusion, as Doug Henning would say. It's an illusion. It's created a ton of risk that can be measured and managed. And shifting into real voice, there's, you know, it was 30 years ago that we had Black Monday. And you look at the calendar this year and you see October. And October's got Black Monday in it. It was the third Monday of the month. It was kind of the dawn of... I'll say it right now. CNBC. It was kind of the dawn of... It opened the door for people like me. Where we started talking financial news as news. Because up until then it was pretty boring. And it, it took, you know... 
60, 70 years, well, 55 years roughly, to kind of get us back into that mode set that Wall Street had really dark times and people would jump out windows. So as a financial person, working on the first floor always has advantages. There's never a day that kind of bad. So we've since heard of not just Black Monday, where we lost 25%. So imagine your portfolio is worth $1 million, and suddenly at the end of the day, it's worth 750000 That's a lot of money for people that they panicked. We've had something called the flash crash back in 2007, 2008, where the market dropped 7% in the middle of the afternoon. We had flash crash too back in 2015. And that lasted for a couple days overnight, kind of it kind of went around the globe. And we saw, you know, huge chasms of what we thought could happen versus what did happen between stocks and ETFs and the ETFs that owned them. Um, Brazil once was battered. They weren't fried, but they were battered. The Brazil index once crashed 19% in a single day. Can you imagine a whole market down 19 freaking fragging percent in one day? Um, I can't give you a, a comparative. It would be like your house going down 19% in a day, right? Back in 2014, we had the Treasury tantrum. And I love people who are prone to tantrums because they are damn entertaining to watch, especially if they do it in public. So... Treasury tantrums are kind of important, where the 10-year treasury went from basically 2.15% all the way down to 1.85% in a day. And you're like, whoa. And that was real. So there's an increasing amount of money in the stock markets worldwide and not just domestically. And it's all devoted to rules-based investing. Quantitative strategies now account for about $933 billion, which are just making decisions on mathematics. It's not on earnings. It's not on interest rates. It's just on mathematics. Now, in 2007, that number was about $499 billion. So more and more is going into calculator-driven decisions that don't really take into account anything other than short-term profits and short-term risk management. And that tends to snowball itself. And if you go way back in the 1980s, if you wanted to place a trade, you know, you picked up a phone and you called your broker and your broker would put you on hold. And then he'd ring up, he'd go, you'd call him up and you'd say, hey, Joe, um, I heard a hot tip to buy shares of this company called Digital Computer. And Joe's like, well, as a stockbroker, I should be hearing the hot tips, not my customers, but let me call my specialist. I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. So he'd call a specialist, and a specialist are these people who are, you know, uh, basically make, creating bids and asks and uh, trying to figure out what a stock should be priced at. They're trying to match buyers and sellers. And that person in charge of basically running trade in, in any given stock, sometimes they'd manage up to seven, eight, nine stocks, and that trade would be executed. The process was slow, was cumbersome, it was inefficient. So to get that kind of panic... It took a lot of phone calls. Computer technology wasn't advanced then, but it did advance. The machines grew to rise, as Sarah Connor once predicted. Machines gradually took most of these steps out of the hands of humans, and we did it gleefully. Today, nearly every trade is handled by an algorithm of some sort. It's placed by a computer. It's executed by computers interacting with each other. So Black Monday can and will happen again. We will have a bad day. 
I always think of robots as blenders. I don't know why. Robot um, but parade. parade. Robot, robot parade. parade. That's they might be giants. So mistakes happen with the way humans interact with algorithms. For instance, in 1998, there was a group of quants at long-term capital management. They were led by a Nobel Prize winner, Robert Merton and Myron Scholes. Anyone named Myron, I never trust. And they caused a massive market sell-off when the hedge fund's highly leveraged trades based on quantitative models started to lose and, and basically meet unexpected market behavior. And they lost a ton of money in Russia because Russia defaulted on their debt. And that started just this massive snowballing because of leverage. Leverage is a bad thing on the way down. Leverage, when you own a home and you take money out of a home to buy another home, and you take money out of it, it's great on the way up. But when it goes down, you go bankrupt. So welcome to the 30th anniversary of Black, Black, Black Monday. It's not that scary, is it? It's all computer driven. Until you actually go through one, that's when you start staining some underwear. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invested in more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Pretty crazy what we're looking at with California wildfires in 2017 being a year of, again, disaster after disaster. And sadly, I think we as a nation didn't have a very short-term memory on some of our gun violence that is just random and mass shootings to some of our disasters, whether they be hurricanes or floods or tornadoes, uh, whether they be terrorism and or wildfires. Uh, We tend to be very short-sighted and and never prepared or ill-prepared, to say the least. Sometimes we don't feel the ramifications that are going to play out. Uh, The best thing you can do is try to learn from scenarios as they're presented to you. Um, I've learned more on a regular basis on stocks from listening to you and watching you make mistakes and asking questions that you ask, uh, trying to see like what where your pulse is. Um, I think it's it's pretty good to echo back to 1987 and think about a funny thing happened 30 years ago. And I just talked a lot about the horror that was Black Monday and what a lot of people you know, forget it was kind of a disaster and people died and, you know, the venerable Dow Jones industrial average fell 22.6% in one day. And that wasn't supposed to happen. We've now got a system that puts brakes on scenarios like that. And after nine 11, I remember a lot of people panicked and they wanted to sell because they thought it was the beginning of the end of the retail consumer and I'll never be able to go to a mall again. So, Crashes are scary things, and whether they be car crashes or stock market crashes, um, it doesn't take a lot to go back and remember, you know, what people were feeling. You know, behind the scenes, banks were nervous. They were pulling lines of credit from people in the market on a pretty regular basis. Uh, The Federal Reserve on Tuesday, the day after Black Money, encouraged banks to reopen their lines of credit because... They saw it not bad behavior, but they saw you're going to make things worse. Um, do you make credit more available when things are crashing? Do you make credit less available? To make it less available and call on credit basically snowballs the effect, even though you're thinking you're protecting. 
what you're doing is making the problem worse. Stocks eventually, you know, will get into plus territory in a worst case scenario. And, you know, again, some of the people that you can go Google, uh, Abby Joseph Cohen, Mark Faber, um, Art Cash, and these are all people over 65 years old who lived through a crash and, you know, steered their ships well through it. And I remember Black Monday, I was way too young to actually be working in Wall Street at this point in time, but I remember seeing the headlines. And again, it's a lot like 9-11 or, you know, my parents were eating hot dogs when Kennedy was assassinated and they never ate hot dogs again. Um, just going to show you how sometimes you do remember things. Abby Joseph Cohen remembers having not eaten dinner that day on Black Monday and working till midnight. Um, and, then, you know, working in New York City, you walk by newsstands all the time. And when you walk by a newsstand to get, you know, a bite to eat or get a newspaper, all the candy bars, all the chips, everything was sold out, she said. So people who were working on Wall Street walked out the building, grabbed a bite, walked back into the building to work. Because that ability to be ready served as a source of liquidity. It served as support for the economic and financial system. So there are you know, things that are a lot more sanguine now that we look back on and, and we forget, like, whoa, there were days when people actually, you know, uh, stayed at work, kind of locked themselves in to help, you know, fix the problems and to help people get through it because people were calling their stockbrokers, you know, late at night. Um, so there was a lot of crying. Uh, there's a lot of triage. There's a lot of chaos. Um, you know, the yelling gives away pretty fast when you're a professional. The triage and the crying, you know, crying goes away and you start fixing things. So I know a lot of people and I hear it here on a regular basis and whether it be on radio or TV, I'll hear commercials that like, you know, the stock market's scary. And anyone who runs a commercial that says the stock market's scary, I'll put my wealth up against your wealth. I'll put my career up against yours. I'll put my social security statement up against yours. And I'll, I'll put how much money was made inside the market versus how much money you took from people in commissions and fear-based decisions. Anyone who wants to challenge me on that one, I'll throw down $10,000. I'll throw down $100,000. I'll throw down a million dollars for charity. Whatever the game is you want to play, there's people out there who will like go back to Black Monday and go, uh, look, a crash is coming. It's right around the corner. Dun, dun, dun. That's why you should buy the five levels of real estate investing with me on, on how you could cash flow and how you can save and, and make millions. Anyone who runs a commercial based on fear, I'll put my money up against yours. Anyone. Uh... Because A, that's the kind of guy I am, and B, I know they're, they're not going to hold up to any sort of test of, of discipline. Just worthy of note, in my opinion. Just worthy of note. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Don't be fearful. Yes, there's going to be bad days out there. Yes, there's going to be bad years. It's pretty normal and pretty healthy. So if you have a good time frame, I think you'll be a-okay. Hot stocks. Or a lot like hot pants, where yeah, they come and go in style pretty quickly. Then there's like the idea of like consumer staple stocks that are going to be around for years and years and years. And you can say, well, there's going to be companies like, or there's going to be countries like India as they create more of a middle class, or China creates more of a middle class. They're very likely to drink Coca Cola. 
as a, a refreshing break. So there's be stories and, and, and ways to invest a lot like that, where, well, we're creating more jobs, and as people have paychecks, they like to go on vacation. Or, you know, I think that the, the easy thing is that they like to eat cheese as they make money. They like to brush their teeth. They like to use deodorant. They like to drink Coca-Cola. Um, they like to have a cigarette break. So you can, they like a glass of wine when they get home. Uh, a tub of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So it's Coca-Cola or Colgate or Mondelez or Danone or Philip Morris or Diageo or Unilever. There's ways to, you know, say, okay, I don't need the hot stock. I need the hot trend over time. So the hot trend over time is maybe a demographic story that you're buying into. Um, or you could say, you know, hey, biotech. Back in 2016, when everyone was running for president, I remember these guys got schwacked. Schwacked is a term that you basically pull a golf club out of your golf bag and you hit something with it. You schwack it. I like the way you be, say that. It could be Robert De Niro schwacking someone's head with a golf club for disobeying his mafia-driven motifs. Or it could be, you know, the idea of politicians going, I need your vote. Who am I going to throw under the bus today? I'm going to throw biotech stocks under the bus. And that can be opportunity. It does knock. Um, and it came knocking in the 2016, 11, uh, 2016 election cycle. It was Bernie Sanders. It was Hillary Clinton. And it was Donald Trump. And, you know, sometimes you get poster boys of, like, bad doing on biotech or pharmaceuticals that, you know, charge too much. So you need to kind of know the players in biotech that you want to own so that when opportunity knocks and these guys get hit due to political motives of trying to get votes... Uh, you're ready for a Regeneron or a Gilead. You're ready for a BioVeritif. And the funniest thing you could ever do, if you ever want to do this, is challenge me to a game of saying biotech names or drug pharmaceutical products. Um, I am so bad at it. I am so bad at it. But biotech's a great long-term trend because we as a nation want to grow hair on our head. We as a nation want to stop the pain of arthritis and the humility that we don't have, the vanity that we appeal to with aging. So you look at a Gilead and a Biogen, and you start adding names to your portfolio ideas so that when they get hit, you can be opportunistic and get into that sector, Amgen or Alexian. Or maybe just go, you know what, Rob? I believe in biotech. Um, one of my friends is a biochemist. I've got this out there on a pretty, you know, large-scale thought that the Bay Area is filled with a lot of geniuses, right? And I can't tell the difference between my friend from Norway who's trying to figure out cancer to my friend from Finland trying to figure out cancer to my friend from Argentina trying to figure out cancer. So I should invest in all three of them in my head. And that would be like an, uh, a Spider S&P Biotech ETF XBI. And I could take a look at that 10-year history or the five-year history and go yes or no. And I tend to like sectors when they underperform. I tend to like stocks when they outperform. So digest that for a second. So if I don't like this S&P, the Spider, Biotech Index, XBI, maybe I'll take a look at the IBB, which is the iShares NASDAQ Biotech Index. And if I say, you know, I want more risk than that, I could start with those names, those ETFs and indices, and look at their holdings and look for individual stocks. But anyway, 
opportunity comes knocking. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I'm here. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. The ranking of the highest grossing concert tours in Billboard history. History. It's pretty unaltered year to over year. But last year, you saw two new entries, and they jumped high. Coldplay, who you're hearing right now, jumped to number three overall with a gross of $523 million from its Head Full of Dreams tour. After I had a run of basically a year and a half, I think they came to the Bay Area twice. <laughs> like, I think we'll do a little thing called the Super Bowl and get a lot of people eyeballing us, and then we'll go around the world and make a lot of money, pull out the rakes. Now you understand why the NFL wants the acts to pay them. Total of 5.4 million tickets were sold during a five-continent trek that launched at the end of March 2016. It hit stadiums worldwide, 114 sold-out performances in 83 venues, 13 of which topped 10 million in sales from multiple show runs. Not too shabby. Now, Coldplay's at seven albums. They may not be your cup of tea. But you got to have some respect for who jumped up to number four on that list. Guns N' Roses hit the all-time tour list at four. Didn't they break up like 20 years ago? They had a $475 million overall gross from 123 headlining performance on its five-continent trek. That's still ongoing. With the end of the band's 2017 touring schedule in November, more than 4.3 million tickets have been sold. Not in this lifetime. That was the name of the tour. Guns N' Roses also made festival appearances during both years of the tour, beginning with a headlining slot at Coachella in April 2016. Uh, Axel actually showed up, which is pretty darn crazy. Now, let's take a look at the tours that had the biggest box office history run. Cirque du Soleil's Mike Jackson from 2011-2014, right there at $360 million. The police come in at number nine, the reunion tour. Pulled in $362 million. Vertigo by U2 was number eight, $389 million. Madonna, Sticky and Sweet, $408 million. ACDC, Black Ice, Fire, $441 million back in 2008. Roger Waters, The Wall Live, pulled in $459 million over three years. Guns N' Roses, I just talked about, $475. Coldplay, $523 million. The top grossing tours of all time, Rolling Stones, A Bigger Bang, 2005 to 2007, $558 million. And U2, the 360 tour, pulled in the number one spot with $736 million from 2009 to 2011. Not too shabby. Microsoft president Brad Smith has talked a lot about the future in a new book. It's called The Future Computed. I just finished it. It's fantastic. Um, and it talks about the future and artificial intelligence and our personal digital assistants and how they're going to be integrated into our life, kind of as an alter ego. It says 20 years from now, your digital assistant goes through your calendar and talks to your other electronic devices to plan your day while you sleep. It may tell your car, hey, you better go get gas because he's running late. With an eye on your sleep cycle, it wakes you up at a time, which is you're going to feel the most refreshed within a window of time you've previously 
approved. So 20 years from now, you're going to have a digital assistant that looks at your sleep cycle while you're sleeping. It's going to jump into your calendar and go, oh, no, he forgot an appointment. He's oversleeping. Wake him up. As you get ready, your assistant reads you the news, reports, social media activity, that it's determined to be the most of interest to you. Apple is said to be developing this technology right now for its HomePod, which is going to be a big speaker. So, and it's going to say, Siri, read me the news. So, it's going to read news, report, social media activity. That's the most important to you. I would love that. Because I'm pretty routine, right? A digital assistant can figure me out. There's very few days where I'm like, hey, I want to know about the Warriors. I want to know about the Giants. I want to know about the Sharks. I, do, I, I don't want to know about the Capitals. I don't want to know about the uh, Mavericks. I rarely stray. It'll update you on your weather, your upcoming meetings, and people you see that day and suggest the best time to leave the house based on traffic. We're starting to see some of that there. When I pull out my phone, I get ready to get in my car. It knows that I'm either going to San Francisco or Fremont or the gym. Those are the only places I go. Sometimes I go home. Your first meeting of the day will be with an international team and held remotely before you leave the office. You put on a pair of mixed reality glasses. You greet your colleagues. You appear before them in a virtual boardroom. You all put in an earpiece so that the, each side's language is automatically translated for the other without lag. We're already starting to see some of that. Google came out with some earpieces last year that have gotten mixed reviews, but mostly pretty good. Your sister's coming into town. It books a restaurant for you before you stop and think about it. You got Valentine's Day on the calendar? You forgot? Oh, it's got you covered. It'll summarize discussions for you. You know, the board meeting one, I don't know if I'll ever have international contacts. I Seriously, I want less than more right now. I'd rather have a lake than a flight to China. But it's also something that it's it's Chad and I run a, a meeting with the team up in Oregon, Washington, and tied together to California. And he uses um, GoToMeeting, and I'm like, that doesn't work really well because when you're all in one room and you cackle and tell a joke, none of us can hear or see what's funny. And now none of us can hear the point. While you work on your presentation, your assistant offers supplementary information about the topic you're focused on. It's a pretty good book. I highly recommend. Um, Harry Shum, S-H-U-M, S-H-U-M. Um, and I think you'll get a lot of, of read pleasure out of the future computed. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.